Good seeing all of you here. Obviously, uh, what a great day we had yesterday being able to be together with family and with uh, friends and to exchange gifts and, and to think about just the wonder of life itself and the uh, beauty of being able to be together as a family. Good to see all of you. You look so good this morning. Some of you look pretty tired. Yesterday, days like yesterday can be uh, pretty tiring and then staying up late into the uh, evening. We had folks over at our house uh, yesterday and I think they eventually all left around a little after 10 o'clock and then I began to write this sermon and get ready to go for the morning. So anyway, good to see all of you here this morning. Probably one of our country's most beloved presidents is Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States. The great misfortune that he had was that he was at the helm of this country that was once united and then all of a sudden it was completely divided as a, a nation. He also was very aware of the bloodletting that was going on on both sides of the fronts, whether it was the Union soldiers or the Confederate soldiers, men were dying. At no other time in history since has so many people died. It was during that bloodletting that Lincoln would oftentimes find himself almost brought to his knees. He would know that soldiers were dying, that, that hurt him deeply. He often was known to be going to the hospitals around Washington, D.C. and visiting the Union soldiers there. He also was, um, you know, one that just thought often about it. It was sort of during that same time that this was happening that his young son also died. And that finally brought the president to his niece completely. Often he would go to a church, the Presbyterian church, during the midweek, and he would walk in and take off his coat and his top hat and put it in his hands and would walk off so that he would not disrupt the service to a, uh, a seat close to the study of the preacher. And with his hat in his lap, he would listen to the preacher as he would preach the word of God. And on that particular day, that's exactly what the preacher did. He preached the word of God. And when he finished, the president got up put his coat on, took his hat in his hand, and began to walk out. And as he was walking out, one of his, his aides stopped him and, and said to him, uh, Mr. President, what did you think about the sermon? And he said, it was well thought out, and it was eloquently delivered. So, Mr. President, you thought it was a great sermon. And he said these words, no, I thought he failed. He did not ask us to do something great. Even the president all the way back then understood that when God spoke, that God expects a calling that it would call us to do something great, something grand, something that is lofty. We should expect God to ask us to challenge us, to call us to rise above who we are and what we are, to call us to a higher commitment in life. And so the preacher that Lincoln listened to on that day, he failed to do so. He failed to challenge him. He failed to challenge the president and the people that were we're listening. As I take you down through a little bit of history, God has always done that sort of a thing. God has always called his people to a higher commitment. He's always called us and expected great things from us and always would call us to a greatness. For instance, take Noah. Noah was called by God to build an ark. It would take him almost 120 years to build that ark. During that period of time, he'd be a preacher of righteousness. He would build that ark in order that the faithful would be saved. A remnant of God's greatest part of his creation would be saved. Not only he, but the animals as, as well. Abraham, 
called the father of the nations, was called to be the father of a great nations, and that his, through his seed all nations would be blessed. But he first must meet the challenge. He would have to leave uh, heir of, uh, of the Chaldees, his, his home, a place of comfort, and he had to go to a land or a country that he knew nothing about that would be almost 600 miles away down in Beersheba in the wilderness of Israel or what would one day become Israel or Palestine. He was called to do something great. Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness of Midian, shepherding the sheep for over 40 years when he found a burning bush and he went up to it and there God called him and said to him that you're going to deliver my people from Egyptian bondage and now that you'll be delivering the law to them. That was a great challenge. Joshua, who would be his successor, would take and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. God would say to him, be strong and be very courageous. He knew that he was going to be going into a land that could possibly devour itself. In fact, you remember that the 10, 12 spies came back and he said that the land in which we are going is filled with milk and, and honey. But 10 of them said, no, the land is not filled with just milk and honey. It's a land that also devours itself. No doubt talking about the southern wilderness. But not only they said there's giants in the land and the fortresses are, are there and that the enemies are, are there. Godless people that God was going to call them to go in to conquer and to uh, subdue it and to drive those people out. Joshua was called to something great. And of course, Jesus would call his apostles and the church to do something great as well. He would call us to be light and salt in the world and that we were to take the great uh, mission or the, of the gospel to a lost world that's a great call so god has always called us to a higher commitment in life and so this morning's lesson is god's call to commitment so as you think about commitment as you look down the road of, of the future of to 2022 uh, would you say that you are totally committed to god's call for your life and what i'm talking about about a great commitment is jesus saying as he called the disciples to himself for them to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow me. Or the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And a second like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Or a great commission, that we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey whatsoever I've commanded you, and that he, lo, he'd be with us always, even to the end of the age. Those are great calls. That's a great commitment that God has given to the church. How do you see your future in terms of that great call that God has given to us? Open your Bibles to Exodus, the 19th chapter that Ethan read to us just a few moments ago. As you turn there, I want you to think about what is going on here. The children of Israel had left the, uh, Egypt. And as they get into the wilderness, they've been there for over 50 days now. God has provided food and water for them. Things seem to be doing all right. And then they come to the wilderness there. And then God says these words in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You have seen what I've done with my own hand. He doesn't remind them of the fact that, you know, he had afflicted Egypt with these plagues that caused Pharaoh to even go to his knees and tell the children of Israel and to Moses, go take your people and leave the land. He doesn't have to tell them about them coming to the Red Sea and having their backs up against the wall with Pharaoh changing his mind and sending his army after those captives to bring them back into captivity, that God had, had parted the Red Sea and that the children of Israel had walked across on dry ground. 
But when the army tried to follow after them, the Egyptian army had the walls collapse upon them and they drowned. God didn't have to do that. And he had already done something amazing with his, his hand. And then he says these words here. He says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And all the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy a nation. You see, God was calling them to a great a commitment. Now, God had made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, and that God was going to keep his promise, and now this generation of people who had followed after their ancestors were now in this wilderness, and God calls them to this place here. And there he says to them, if you'll follow after me, then I will make you my treasured possession. Not only that, even though the earth is mine, even though I have not promised to any other nation or any other people, I am promising it to you, you'll be my treasured possession. Not only that, he says, you'll be a kingdom of priests and you'll be a holy nation. Something special was going to happen because of, of, of this. God saw these as his special people if they would take on the challenge. In fact, in order for them to be this treasured people, in order for them to be this great uh, possession, in order for them to be a kingdom of priests, and all those things, in order for that to happen, they were going to have to do some things. He's going to be calling them to greatness. He's going to be challenging them. Notice the word if. The word if is a conditional thing. If you obey me, if you keep my covenant, if you do what I say, then the promises that I'm making to you are ones that are going to bless your lives in incredible kinds of ways, but you're going to have to put me first. And so God sees them as someone that is, is special to him. I got to thinking about it as I read through that part, portion of Scripture and, and noticed that God is asking them to do something great. I thought to myself, so why is he doing this? Haven't they already proved that they're willing to cross the Red Sea? Haven't they already prove that they're willing to be in the desert for 50 days and that God was going to take care of them? Haven't they shown that? Haven't they followed after Moses? Haven't they followed the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night? Haven't they showed that there is a commitment that is there on their part? And the answer is, is to some degree, yes, but to another degree, absolutely not. There was more that he was one of them. Just as he demanded a lot out of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Joseph, he's demanded out of these people, this new generation of Israelites, something as, as well. He wanted them to stand for him, that they would pledge their loyalty to him in every way that's possible. There's a word, a biblical word, that is used to describe this thing. Because as you think about this, what he's asking, he's not asking for a casual relationship with God. That's not what he is asking for with them at all. He's asking for, from them a, a lifetime commitment. He's asking them to make a commitment that, that calls for a physical declaration of, of their intention to accept everything that he's going to be asking them to do, not only then, but in the future as they look forward. And like I said, there is a biblical word that describes what I'm talking about here, and it's the word a vow. To make a vow toward God. So, what exactly is a vow? Well, it's deliberately dedicating oneself or something, setting something apart to God. That's what a vow does. 
It's more than a promise. In fact, it goes far beyond promises. People break promises all the time, but there is something about a vow that when you make a vow to someone, there's something that is deep there. There's something that drives below the surface, down into the heart of a person where they truly are completely sold out, fully committed in every way. Take, for instance, the Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow, he was a man who says, I am dedicating my life, my service to God and to God alone, which meant there were certain criteria. It means that he could never drink of fermented wine. He could never cut his hair. He could never touch anything dead. And along with a number of other things, he was a person who was dedicated, dedicating my life completely to God and to no one else. God took vows extremely seriously. When a person made a vow to him, he expected you to carry it out. Take, for instance, this passage of Scripture behind me out of Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, verses 5 through 6. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at you uh, at what you say and destroy the work of your hands and so god took seriously vows and when i think about vows for us today of course i think about the marriage vow i think that when two a couple of a man and a woman come together there are going to be vows that they're going to be sharing with one another in fact a marriage it begins with a a vow a new relationship is initiated things become new when a man and woman exchange vows, they, they are saying to be making a covenant with one another. Their vows are a dedication to a special relationship that they share with that person and with no one else. No one else to take part in that relationship that a husband and wife share with one another. So a marriage begins when two people who are in love with each other, they make a, a statement of dedication to one another. They make vows to one another that they'll be faithful to the very end. I thought about vows. Over the years, I probably have performed, I don't know, several hundred uh, marriage ceremonies. Most people that I married, I always insist that they sit down and have at least three counseling sessions with me. And I, I talk to them about the covenants and the vows that they were making with one another. And I talked to them about the importance of love being <clears throat> in their lives. And in almost every service, so oftentimes I'll say to the couple, would you like to write your own vows, or do you have your own vows that you would like to exchange? More often than not, they say, no, why don't you go ahead and do it? And so I've done vows with them. And generally I'll share a, a short message with them before, you know, before they are married. And generally... Afterwards, I will say to them something like this, in view, of the in view of the commitments that you have made to one another and what I've just shared with you, are you ready for your vows? And if you are, will you join hands with one another and they do so? And I'll say something like this, do you take this man or woman whose hand you hold to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife to live together after God's holy ordinances in the holy state of matrimony? And do you promise to love and to honor and to cherish them, to keep them in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, keeping yourself unto him or her only so long as you both shall live. And they say, I do. 
Think about the vow there. What would happen in our marriages if when we spoke those vows to one another, we really thought about the vow to love that person, to love them sacrificially where you'd be willing to give up everything for your mate, to love them in a sanctifying way where you set them apart as someone special to you, more unique, more distinct, more special than any other person on the face of the planet, to love them more than you do even yourself, to love them so much that you're going to make them secure in life. You're going to do everything possible in your power to do that. What if we really took those vows seriously? What if we were serious when we said in sickness or in health? Because there is both sickness and health in marriage. For better or for worse, there's better and there's worse in, in marriage. I've been married 47 years. I know about those things there. To keep yourself unto him or her only, no one else, so long as you both shall live a lifetime commitment that we are making. That's what makes a marriage a marriage. It's the vows. That's the difference between, you know, cohabitation or living together. When you live with someone, you're not making that lifelong commitment. The idea of living together or cohabiting outside of marriage is that let's try this out. Let's test drive this. And if it feels good, if it seems to work okay, let's go ahead and enter into a marriage contract maybe later down the line but in the midst of that cohabitation there is not a vow for better or for worse there's not a vow for sickness or in, in in health there's not a vow that i will keep myself to you only as long as we both shall live it's a tentative kind of thing but a vow that is made in a marriage is something that is a dedication it's something that you are promising to one another it's a covenant that you're making between you and god it's a vow a promise a dedication that you're doing before witnesses a vow and that's what god was talking about here in the wilderness of of, of Sinai he is talking to them about this dedication he, he's wanting them to give him a lifelong commitment and the people they responded by saying these words we will do everything the Lord said later on they're going to eat those words by the way but in that moment in time they were serious about the dedication they were in awe of everything that had happened there will be even more in awe as they stand before the mountain and god speaks to them but at this point after he had spoken to them and said to them if you will keep if you'll keep my word my commandments if you'll keep that covenant then i will make you a treasured possession i'll make you a kingdom of priests i'll make you a holy nation if you will do this and they said we'll do it we're all in there now let's talk about God's call to commitment in the New Testament. The children of Israel become our ancestors of what it means to be committed. Will we do as well or will we do worse? In the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and, and now there's a new relationship that is going to be. There's going to be a change that's going to be taking place because of what Jesus Christ has, has done. Paul, speaking over in Titus, the second chapter, in verse 14, says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. Or 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light 
Revelation 1 and verse 6, Jesus tells us that he has made us into a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father to him, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So when you look at the Old Testament and you look at those Israelites and what they were called, they were called to be a holy nation. They're called to be a royal priesthood. They're called to be a peculiar treasure or a peculiar possession. Out of all the peoples that God could have chosen, he chose the children of Israel to give these blessings to. And then you come to the New Testament. When we became Christian, Scripture tells us what we became. We became a holy nation. We became a royal priesthood who offer up God living sacrifices, Romans the 12th chapter and verse 2 that we are a peculiar treasure or a peculiar possession. We become the possessions of God that have been bought and paid for by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So we have been called to something great, is what I'm telling you this morning. We've been called to make a commitment to God through Jesus Christ. So when you think about that, so what are we supposed to do if we are these special people, and we are, if we are this royal priesthood, if we are this holy nation, if we are God's loved possession, then what are we supposed to be doing? What, are, what, what great thing is he calling us to do? And Peter answers that in verse 9, that you might proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're to be pro proclamators. We are to proclaim the greatness and the goodness of of what God is about. That there is a great commitment that is asked of us. Remember I mentioned to you over in Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 34 and through, and through 37 at the beginning of the lesson, I said to you, when it comes to this great commitment, Jesus said that he called his disciples to himself or called the multitudes to himself, and he said to them, if any of you wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. That's a huge commitment. Because in that day, crosses were the real deal. It wasn't something that, you know, we just talk about today. It's not something that you hang, hang around your neck or put on the top of your church building or on the front of your church building. The cross was much more than that. The cross was a place of execution where you gave all. Jesus said, if you're going to follow after me, deny yourself and follow me taking up your cross. The great commandment matthew the 22nd chapter verses 34 through 40 though you're there a lawyer comes up to jesus and asks him what is the greatest commandment in the law and jesus said to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might and a second is like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself upon these two depend the whole law and and the prophets the great commandment you remember the great commandment over in John the 13th chapter where Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you are to love one another even as I have loved you so ought you to love one another a great commission go and make disciples of all nations a great commitment and the great commandment and the great commission makes a great church but I would go even further than that and say it makes a great Christian that's the commitment that we have been called to, a higher commitment. Adante's fortune evat. It's Latin. It's maybe a little bit strange to your ears as you 
look at it. A well-known actor by the Matt, name of Matt Damon stars in an advertisement for cryptocurrency. Uh, it's a platform called Crypto.com. It's talking about going into a new way of investing that is going to cause you to have to be fairly brave. You have to be able to risk if you, if you will. As he talks about this thing, he, he's walking through a, a studio, and as he's walking through the studio, various things are popping up. This commercial showed to over 20 countries all at the same time. It began last Sunday uh, during some football games. It was even seen on some of the, some, uh, yesterday during uh, the Saturday ball games. Damon, he takes us uh, on what I would call a down memory lane to Columbus and the Wright brothers. And men like, you know, uh, um, Sir Edmund Hillary, or maybe the astronauts. And while these are shown, he's walking past them, he is saying these words to them. History is filled with almost, with those who almost ventured, who almost achieved, but for them, it ultimately proved to be too much. Then there were others, the ones who embrace the moment and commit. And in these moments of truth, these men and women, these mere mortals, just like you and me, as they peer over the edge, they calm their minds, still their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepids since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. And I saw that and chills went through me. And I thought because of the lesson, I've got to talk about that a little bit because it's an ancient proverb that beseeches people to be brave and to face their fears. That successful persons are often ones who are willingly make a commitment, are willing to make risks in their lives. And that's what God was asking of the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. And all the faithful, he is asking them to move forward, to be brave in the endeavors and the commitments that God is sharing with him. But it also was talking about us as well, that there is some risk that takes place with us. As we look at 2022, 2022 is going to be a year that is going to call us and, and to challenge us to commit and to face the challenges that are going to be before us. But I want to change up fortune favors the brave and say this fortune favors the faithful because when we are faithful to god when we are called to that higher commitment and we say we'll take it on we're fully all in on that god promises to take care of us he promises to be with us and whatever we do as a congregation 2022 is going to be a different year than any year we have ever walked into 2020 was a challenge, a big challenge. 2021, maybe a little bit less of a challenge. 2022 is going to call us to new heights. It's going to call us to get outside of our comfort zones. It's going to call us to be willing to do some risking. For the children of Israel, their commitment began at Mount Sinai. For us, our commitment begins at Mount Calvary. And that, as we think about the cross, causes us as Christians to respond 
And our response is that we're willing to die to ourselves and to be buried with Christ in, in baptism. Romans, the sixth chapter, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? His answer is, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then he says these words. We're making a, a commitment. We're dying to ourselves. We're taking that cross that Jesus asked us to do. And then he says these words. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that we have crucified our, ourselves. That's commitment. So the children of Israel, they found themselves before the mountain. And God says to, him, to them, if you'll keep my words and my covenant, then you'll be a treasured possession. You'll be a royal priesthood. You'll be a holy nation. I've called you to be so if you'll do these things. They made a commitment. They were called to a high calling. This morning, you two are being called to a high calling as well. Fortune truly does favor the faithful who listen to his word and are obedient to it. This morning, if you are not a Christian, if you have not been obedient to what Christ has commanded, that we are to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, why not do that this very morning? Or if you are already a Christian, then the commitment is put before you. As we go on to 2022, what can you do? How can you be fully all in as you take on a great commitment, a great commandment, a great commission to a higher calling? What is your response while together we stand and while we sing?